0: I probably am too. Well it's good to be here. And uh everyone he- can you hear me okay? It's just first service. You haven't had quite enough coffee yet or something, is that what it is? And uh yeah, well um they asked me to just uh, jump into this series, which I'm very pleased to do on um on faith. And uh it, it it's amazing how, how God does work here's one of the things though that sometimes happens is God's so good at turning your bad times into good stuff that people think he sent the bad stuff and it's one of the biggest lies in the Christian world that, that God doesn't send the bad stuff he sent Jesus into the bad stuff he didn't he didn't make your appointment with pain trial and tragedy but if you'll keep the appointment, he'll come to it with you. And he'll walk you through it. And it's the it's one of the greatest truths and most beautiful experiences. It's it's funny, it's funny what Christian leaders get criticized for. Um, I, I wrote a book out of my the experience I'm gonna share with you called Kisses from a Good God. And one of the criticisms that was that people put online about me when they read the book, a couple of people did it, was that I took my best friend and my pastor to my appointment with the doctor and not my wife. You don't know me. You don't know my circumstance, my family. But I was was thinking about it. I was thinking, now I took my best friend and my pastor to that appointment. They asked to come. My my wife really didn't want to come to that appointment, to be perfectly honest. And I was happy to protect her from that appointment. She didn't need to be in that room. But you know, in a way, my best friend and my pastor are kind of like, Pictures of Jesus that he'll he'll come with you to any appointment you have. He'll accompany you to any appointment. So uh, I'm just going to run through my story and pull out some uh, pull out some points and pray for some people. Uh, there's one group of people I've already written down to pray for. Um, you know, I, I, when I left school, I, I trained as a nurse. I worked for five years at, uh, as a nurse trained at the London Hospital, Whitechapel. Still, in my opinion, the best hospital in the world. I'm biased, but. You know, um, And then I, I left being a nurse, joined the prison service, worked as a prison officer, and eventually became a prison governor, spent 19 years working in prison. Uh, to my great surprise and a sequence of events, I jumped on a plane four days after 9-11 and found myself in Redding, California, uh, for an unspecified period of time when I landed, which turned into 15 years, which I thought would actually have been the rest of my life. Um, who would leave living in California? Um, but we were called back. It was very clear and uh, delighted that we did come back, and uh, God called us back for an assignment, but in his kindness so that we could live around the corner from our grandchildren. And my greatest pleasure in life is that my grandson can walk to my house. I don't know anything better than that. But when you live 5,000 miles away, for your grandson to knock on the door and you open the door and it's your grandson, it's like, you just made my day, boy. You don't need to do a thing. What do you want? If you need anything, you know. So now we, so that's some of my story. In 2008, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and uh, I want I want to start at a at a place because uh, it it still remains to me the most one of the most real experiences of my life with me and God. And I I was in Fresno, California, which doesn't matter if you don't know where it is but i was I was ministering there, I was about to have dinner with two very close friends, uh, which I would have thoroughly enjoyed um, in normal circumstances and then I got the the information that i i I wasn't diagnosed at this point, but I was a nurse, so I knew that my test result meant something and uh, so i I got my test result and i I sat on my bed in a hotel room and i I said this now. I don't I don't feel anything wrong in this. I just you know, but sometimes people think ah, that's a bit weird. So I sat on my bed and my first thought was, What would Bill do? So I go to Bethel Church, California. I'm on staff, Bill Johnson's the leader, he's a man who's seen many people healed. My first thought was what will Bill what would Bill do? And that might seem strange, but I but I but it was linked to something that God wanted to say to me, and this is what I've heard him say countless times, and that is when you don't know what to do. When you can't find your emotion, read the Psalms until you find it. Uh, read the Psalms until you find your voice. And it, it's, it's just incredible. You see, the Psalms are so full of the emotions of man expressed to God. Don't ever be afraid of your emotions in the middle of a crisis. Is probably, I don't know how many points I'll give you today, but that is, a, that is definitely one. Don't ever be afraid of them. Don't, don't ever hide them. Um, the, Psalm, the, the psalms are a template for prayer. They're not a theology. Um, they're, they're, a, they're a way of expressing. So I sat on my bed with a, a diagnosis. As far as I'm concerned, I had a diagnosis. And um, I sat on my bed and I began to read the psalms. And I was committed to read them all the way through, if necessary. I was looking for my voice. And if you're in a place right now... Of, of any kind of test, crisis, challenge, trial, disappointment, whatever you want to put in that box, I would encourage you, read the Psalms and find your voice in the Psalms. You'll find it. And, you know, I, I began to read, I, I got to um, Psalm 4 and read, The Lord Hears When I Call Him. I thought that's pretty good, but I knew it wasn't enough. And I, I kept reading, and I, I got to uh, Psalm 13. And in Psalm 13, it says, how long will I take counsel in my soul? Now, my view of reality, I scribbled in the margin of my Bible, is not a good counselor. And your soul has the capacity to take you actually to hell. And I I got that pretty quick. And actually, the Lord very quickly spoke to me. And as I read between Psalm 13 and Psalm 16, which for me has become uh, just a familiar journey, those kind of three or four psalms there, I, I got to these words, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night season. I've set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand, which means the place of my strength. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my glory rejoices, and my flesh also will dwell securely. And um, I'd got what I needed. It then goes on to say, for thou wilt not abandon my soul to shale. Um, and in other words, he's, if I don't trust in my soul, my, the me in this, but I trust in him in this, then he's going to take me through it. And I made a decision in, in that moment. Uh, And my decision was this, because God told me, he said, don't research what's wrong with you. Don't look it up. Now, I'm not going to tell you that that's for you, because it might not be. But it was for me. And I was a nurse, so I I know stuff. And he said, don't research it. Um, That took me right the way through my whole journey, with some funny experiences, to be perfectly honest. Uh, The funniest was this, I... I don't know why this happens with doctors, but it, it seems to um, is that you get taken into an examination room half an hour before the doctor's free to come in to you. So you find yourself um, isolated in what felt like some sort of small prison cell to me for thirty minutes, and there was no internet reception in that room, and uh, there were there's a lot of information in that room that I didn't want did not want to know about, and I was in that room many times and there were books on the shelf and it, because it was a, a specialist there were a lot of books about prostate cancer and I was not researching them so I never looked at them but there was one book that that struck my eye that annoyed me and it was the yellow and black book it's called prostate cancer for dummies like I mean <laughs> what who does that you know Who? who who I mean it's sort of like almost unnecessary anyway. And I'd look at it and think, that's, that's bizarre. And actually, what happened was the day of my actual diagnosis, when the doctor came in and said, this is exactly what's wrong with you and the degrading the, the of cancer and all of that kind of stuff, he said, I want to give you a bit of advice. Now, I'm in there. You have to g- get this picture. I'm in there with my best friend, Craig, who has a very, very sarcastic sense of humor, and my senior leader, Chris Vallotton, who hates hospitals and doctors. So this is the combination. So before the doctor came in, I'd pointed them out to pointed out to them the yellow and black book and said, "Who would write a book prostate cancer for dummies?" Come on, that just like seems wrong somewhere. Uh, anyway, I got went through all the diagnosis stuff with the doctor and what the treatment plan was and that sort of thing. And then he said to me and he said, uh, "And if you need any help, my favorite book on the shelf there is." <laughs> and I I laughed and I thought it was funny. At, and uh, anyway, so so number one, I it was read the Psalms. I want to encourage you if you're in any place of testing trial, don't be afraid of your emotions, don't be afraid of your voice. Let God know exactly how you feel, and look for your voice in Psalms, and you will find it there. And uh, so uh, then then what happened to me really was, and it was sort of these are overlapping points. Um. Something else that, that our mind or, or the devil or wherever, wherever we want to put this will do to you is say that you're not ready. In fact, there are two places in life where you'll say nothing prepared me for sudden promotion or sudden crisis and neither is true. You are prepared. The issue is can you access the preparation that's already in yourself? And I remember the day we walked around the, the walking trail next to our house in, in Redding, California. Sue and I, with this diagnosis, and it was like nothing prepared me. And Sue looked to me and said, that's not true. Your life has prepared you for this. And, and you've just got to find the preparation that's inside of yourself. And often we're looking outside of ourselves for something that actually is inside of ourselves. And... Uh, I want to read to you, and I need to just get it from here because it's uh, Passion Translation. I-, I want to just read a couple of things in there. Second, uh, Second Corinthians chapter four, um, really, I think it's a beautiful a beautiful passage. Anyway, but in the Passion Translation, if you're not familiar with it, uh, it's a, a f- it's probably not technically a translation. It's a it's a new work by a guy called Brian Simmons. Um, let me just read some of this to you. Now, it's because of God's mercy that we have been entrusted with the privilege of this New Covenant ministry. And we will not quit or faint with weariness. To me, the New Covenant ministry is a lot of what you're talking about in this series. It's about faith. It's about healing. It's about believing for the supernatural to invade our lives. But it's because of God's mercy that we've been entrusted with, not because of our own cleverness. Um, And... uh, I'll jump a few verses. We don't preach ourselves, but rather the lordship of Jesus Christ, for we are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let brilliant light shine out of darkness, is the one who has cascaded his light into us. The brilliant dawning light of the glorious knowledge of God as we gaze into the face of Jesus Christ. And in a way, those, that psalm experience was that. It was light shining into this, this dark moment. We are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within so that the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's, not ours. And I'll, I'll point to a couple of those things in a moment. Though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. At times, we don't know what to do. Not knowing what to do is legal. It's okay. I think sometimes we think we should know what to do. Sometimes we don't. It's okay, it's legal. But quitting's not an option. We're persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. We may be knocked down, but not out. We continually share in the death of Jesus in our own bodies, so that the resurrection life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. I love that. You know, there's something in this. I think sometimes we think that something's going to be so mystical and spiritual, but actually the, revelation, the resurrection life of Jesus will re- be revealed through our humanity. That's a stunning picture to me. We consider living to mean that we are constantly being handed over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus will re- be revealed through our humanity. I think so often we miss this. His, he is revealed through your humanity, through the th- things you do day by day, every day. So then death is at work in us, but it releases life in you. We have the same spirit of faith that is described in the scriptures when it says, First I believed, then I spoke in faith. So it, we also first believe, then speak in faith. So, you know, you only need faith when you don't know the answer. You only need faith when you're standing in front of something difficult, something impossible. That's when you need faith. There's faith that's in you. You've just got to find it. There's the faith, as I've just shown you in Psalm 13 to 16, that helps you to see. It was this faith of, I'm going to find my voice in the Psalms and it will help me see. And it helped me see. Years later, a doctor friend of mine said to me, he said, Do you know the most complicated and confusing cancer on the internet? I said, No. He said it's prostate cancer. I said, wasn't that kind of God to tell me not to research it? He said, you'd have been confused. You never would have gone down the journey. So it's faith that helps you see. Then you see what happened to me was and I, I kind of go a little bit backs and forwards over my journey. On the day that I went to the doctor, I've had all the tests. You don't need to know the details of those, but I had them twice because I was a man of faith. Um, No, seriously, because I had the test once, the most unpleasant test that you can have. And when I was was given my diagnosis, I said, okay, what would you do? And he said, "I, I can't tell you that. I'm not allowed to. I said, that's ridiculous. You're a doctor. I want to know what you would do. He said, well, I would have... I would have surgery. I said, what's the earliest date I can have the surgery? He gave me the date. I said, what's the last date that I can have another biopsy to find out if I've been healed? What's the very last date? So he said, you're crazy. That means you're going to have two biopsies. I said, I'm crazy, but I'm a man of faith. Because I'm going to go back from this appointment and I'm going to have all the prayer I can possibly have. I want another biopsy, and then I'll come back to you and, and we'll work out what to do. And... Uh, what happened to me was, just to fast forward, was I got healed by a surgeon. Now here's something that I think we often miss in the church. I pretty much guarantee, if I, if I was to say, who's been healed in the room here? People who've been healed medically and surgically probably wouldn't put up their hands. Well, we need to stop that. Because the goal is, get healed. And sometimes it happens by the laying on of hands, and sometimes it happens with a scalpel. But healing's the result. But before that, I had a miracle journey. So this is the curious thing about my journey. I got healed by a surgeon, but I also had a strange miracle journey. So I was diagnosed on, uh, final diagnosis was on a Tuesday, the 26th of February, 2008. Two days later, um, Bill's, uh, Bill Johnson's secretary said, I want to pray for you, but I also want to take you on an imaginary trip to heaven, which is something that she ministers to people. Now, it's a little weird, and I had avoided it up until that moment in time. It's like, I don't do that stuff, you know? But she said, look, trust me in this. So it's okay. You know, you've got a diagnosis of cancer. You, I, I don't care. Everything's off now. I'll do anything. I don't care. I just need to get well. So I laid on the floor in my office, and uh, and Judy came in and she talked to me. And in my opinion, it is a sanctified imagination journey. It's not um, It's not trance. It's it's not speaking to the dead. For me, it's sanctified imagination that God steps into. And a couple of headlines for this are. Number one, that happened to be the anniversary of the day my dad died um, 35 years before. So it was a curious day. It, was a, it had a day rich in sort of like coincidence, sentiment, and things like that. And in my sanctified imagination journey, uh, Judy said to me, ask Jesus about the cancer. And what I heard was this, the lion of the tribe of Judah has taken care of it. That's what I heard, the lion of the tribe of Judah. There's, there's importance in that in a moment that I'll just explain to you. And there were a couple of, couple of other things uh, that, that happened to me. And actually the Lord said to me in that experience, He said, um, you will live for another 40 years and you'll know this is true because your mother's going to live for another 10 years. Well, my, my mother then was um, 86 and she's now 97. So I'm, I'm feeling good, all right? I'm confident because I heard what he said. So the line of the tribe of Judah is going to take care of this, was what I heard. All right, And uh, so that, that happened, and, and I felt encouraged by this experience, and I wrote it, I've written it out in my book if you want more about that. So that was, that was an interesting piece. Two days later, I had the SOZO team came to my house. If you're a senior leader at Bethel, I guess you have mobile Sozo teams that can drive to your house. You don't have to go there. So they're an inner healing team um, who I wanted just to pray for me. And one of the main reasons was that in some of my sort of knowledge of spiritual things, that, you know, sometimes things like prostate cancer might be related to some, you know, sinful stuff or thoughts or stuff that had happened to me in my past and I've been exposed to some stuff I've worked in prison um, and and so I wanted some prayer in that direction Uh, the team came into my house sat down in my lounge and I said look um, look I don't care where we go you can ask me anything you like dig as deep as you like I know that sometimes prostate cancer is related to things like lust and stuff like that I have nothing to hide all right I nothing and uh, Donna and Silva, who was leading the team said dang we know that but before I say anything else she said I need to tell you something last night I was praying and in my prayer it was as if I was in heaven and Jesus gave me a scroll to give to you and the scroll was a picture of the lion of the tribe of Judah now, I don't even, you can check my preaching before that week. I did not use the phrase, the lion of the tribe of Judah. I am immensely encouraged. A couple of other, other things that happened was about um, October before the February, um, Bill Johnson's wife, Benny Johnson, had come into a church and said, Oh, I had a dream about you last night. Now, there's no, there's no knowledge at this point that I'm going to have cancer. Benny walks into the church and she said, I had a dream about you last night. they a really strange dream. And she said, we were together on one side of, uh, of a river. On the other side of the river, it looked like the old city of Jerusalem. And the whole of Bethel family was on the other side, except for you and me. And you ran to the river and thought you could jump. I knew I couldn't jump in the dream, but you thought you could jump. And you ran, and you tried to jump, and you went in. But then, the bubbles came up. But then, you suddenly appeared again and dived into the river and rescued yourself. That's the dream, right? So these these two incidents are outside of my control. Okay, They're, I'm not. These it's not something that I'm in control of. This is just God stepping in. Fast forward. I have my surgery on Good Friday. America doesn't really do Good Friday in America. It doesn't have a day off. So I had my surgery on Good Friday. And uh, all went well. Um, some, Some of the team were visiting me on the Friday evening, come and see how I was doing. And um, I always joke about it because Chris Vallotton gave me a prophetic word and I drifted into unconsciousness. I've always joke about that with him. I say, sometimes your prophecies send people unconscious, Chris. You need to know. You need to know this. But I actually ended up being extremely sick. And uh, about around about midnight, I was in and out of consciousness and a doctor came to me and said, oh, your cardiac enzymes were okay. And I'm, because I'm a nurse, I know you think I had a heart attack. So... And then I realized that I've got a blood pressure monitor on, which is beeping every nine minutes. And I take a look at it, and I knew that my mean arterial pressure was about two points away from major organ failure. And nobody knew what to do. I could just feel the chaos around. And I'm in and out of consciousness. My mean arterial pressure is at 62, which is two two points away. My blood pressure is extremely low. And I said to God, Okay, I remembered the dream. I saved my life in the dream. Not my dream, Benny's dream. But I like other people's dreams about me. And so I said to God, I saved my life in the dream. What's wrong with me? And he gave me a picture. Now, you need to be probably over 40 to understand this. But we used to have Coca-Cola cans where you had to pierce them twice. Yeah? You had a pointed can opener. Why? Because it doesn't come out if the air can't get in. And I knew that my catheter bag, no more details required, for some reason had a blocked vent. I didn't even know they had vents. I called the nurse over and I said, change my bag. And she said, why would I do that? I said, change my bag. She changed my bag and in 15 minutes my blood pressure was normal and I was well. And... Uh, it, it, it was just a weird experience, but I know that I was encouraged by a trip to heaven. My life was saved by a dream. And sometimes along the way, that's how God works. Another thing that happened to me was I had the most unusual week, maybe, of my entire life. And uh, one of the things that I want to encourage everyone here to do is don't ever hold back on People around you that are going through tough stuff, never hold back on saying things to them that you feel the Lord's given that are in the language of love, faith, or hope. Don't ever, ever hold back. You might think, oh, that's so minor that you would hold it back. But I had a week, I call it a week of kisses from from God. that Some of the things were just almost, you could have passed them by, but they created this catalog of evidence from God that he was with me that he cared so for instance on the Tuesday of that particular week a lady called Nancy said I had a dream about you last night now in this particular season there were a lot of people talking about gems being found diamonds and stuff like that being found I personally never found one but people did so there was a lot of language of diamonds gems emeralds stuff like that But Nancy had a dream about me, and in the dream, pearls were dropping from heaven. What she didn't know was that pearls are personal to me, very personal in in my life. And, uh, And that my father preached a message in 1957 when my mother was pregnant with me, and the message was the 12 gates are 12 pearls, and there's a part of it which is my life story. So I'm not really that bothered about diamonds and emeralds and sapphires or rubies. Give me pearls any day, and they're actually the only gem. I mean, others are formed in the earth, but the only gem that is formed by a living organism—the oyster or sometimes other other shells. God kissed me every day. He spoke to me in unusual ways, but they were—they came through other people. And I just want to encourage you, don't ever dismiss those, those opportunities, which I would call faith you give away. And uh, we're in this as community. We need each other. When we're going through something, we, we need each other. The other way in which I gave faith away was that I made a statement in Bethel Church where people fly from all over the world um, to get healed, and I made a statement that surgery is not a second-class healing. I had no idea that at that moment that I would be an encouragement to to people of a profession that often feel beaten up. But it's become a a powerful part of my life and and, and it's led really me to the way that I pray for people. Um, I I don't have any doubt that God can heal cancer um, supernaturally, but I also know that sometimes he uses surgeons. So when I pray for you, I'll pray the best of Jesus and the best of medicine. I I want the both. I don't want anyone to ever either feel that they're a second-class healer or that they got a second-class healing. Because in all honesty, I'm really happy for the way that I got healed. I have no complaints about it. It, Partly because the way my mind's wired, if the tumor had gone away, I probably would have spent the rest of my life wondering if it would come back. And, And because of that thought process, it probably would have come back, to be perfectly honest. But mine can't come back. It's gone. It's done. Dealt with. So so a few just things along the way. There's faith that's in you. If, if you're in the middle of tough stuff, stop still long enough and go, in what way did God prepare me for this? And trust me, I, I went after prayer from every group of people, from the kindergarten right the way through. I mean, I, had, I had did everything. I had Sozo. I had my sanctified trip to heaven. Um, I had the Sunday school class praying for me. I had the whole school of ministry praying for me. I had loads of stuff like that. But make sure that you check to find that faith that's in you. There's the faith that, that helps you see when, you, when you, you go into the Word. A lot of the time we read the Word and you know we're, we're just kind of reading through it. But sometimes we go into the Word by faith. I want to encourage you, go into the Word by faith and expect to find the answers in the Word because it will be in the Word if you go in by faith. Um, there's the miracle faith, the, the the dream, the trip to heaven, the Sozo appointment. There's the faith in His goodness, in His kindness, the way that small things add up, that, that paint a picture. There's the faith that we get to give away when we release hate, hope, faith and love to others and and in my case, also I did to um, to the medical profession. There was also um, what I would call, and, and after I'd had my surgery, um, there's that sort of faith that takes the lids off you. And and sometimes what we we suffer from, and especially those that that have. Um, you know, have come through something. You might have come through a trial, uh, perhaps you know, a divorce, uh, a loss of a job, a kind of a, a loss of a way of life or, or a challenging sickness. And a friend of mine came into my office um, 18 months after my surgery. Um, three things happened in a very short period of time. But one of them was he said, I want to pray for you. Stand up. Which We're friends and I'm just like, stand up in my office. Like, okay, I'll stand up, whatever you say. I stood up, he put his hand on my head and he said, re-sign. I had no idea really what he was saying at first. I don't think he did. But then I started to think, when you go through tough stuff, you drop your head. You just drop your head down a little bit. And when you re-sign, you lift your head back up 10, 20 degrees and you start looking. You look into the future. What that prayer became to me was, re-sign to the fullness of everything God has for your life. You might have taken a hit, but you need to re-sign to that fullness. The incredible thing about that story is I turned that one word into a chapter in a book. Five years later, my friend is on the worst day of his life and was actually saying to God, take me home. He was very, very sick. And he was, he was almost exhausted. He, he barely had any energy in him. And he reached out and the, the only book that he could reach was my book, and he opened it to the chapter that he gave me, and it said, resign. And he read that chapter back to himself, and he said, I'll do it. And, and sometimes we need that faith that just takes that lid off, that shifts that thing that's getting in our way. And some of you might need that today. You might need to resign. And then what happens is, and this is one of the most incredible things that I think happens when we, when we get our breakthrough, when we come through something, And I'm going to pray for people who are in the middle and that sort of thing. But I want to encourage some of you because sometimes we we get as far as our breakthrough and we go, oh, we got our breakthrough. But the thing is, once you've got your breakthrough, you've got authority. Don't waste the authority that your journey of faith gave you. See, um, Bill Johnson has a phrase. He says, bold faith is built on the shoulders of quiet trust. I, I, I rephrase that, that, that it's basically that um, bold faith is what others think, but it actually is the result from your authority that was gained through your faithfulness, trust, obedience, and knowing God. Don't waste the authority that God's given you when you come through. Because you have authority. Your your victory gives you authority. It gives you authority in the natural and the supernatural. So if you've come through something, you have authority now to release to other people, which is something I'm going to, first group of people, I'm going to pray for in just one moment. And uh, along that way, along that journey, uh, one of the other things that I had to deal with was shame. And I don't have time to go into that now. But sometimes sickness, trials, you know, marriage stuff, all that stuff, it ca- it causes us to th- walk in shame and we have to deal with that stuff. And, and shame will tell you what you're not. In other words, it will it will say that you are something because of what you're going through. I mean, with me, I mean, people threw stuff at me. I mean, people told me that it was, you know, I must have some sin in my life I needed to deal with some, one person sat next to me and said, you caused your, your own uh, cancer because you have a bad diet. I said, you've never eaten a meal with me. You have no right to say that. I had enough confidence at that point to do that. But I had to deal with shame. I had to deal with that feeling. Of, hey, I didn't get healed supernaturally. I'm a pastor at Bethel Church. I, I had to deal with some of those things along the way. So that's a, a little bit of an aside. But, but you could be feeling that. I mean, especially people, uh, the ladies who have, uh, you know, breast cancer, ovarian cancer. Sometimes you you'll get hit with shame because you're feeling that I'm less of a woman than I was before. I, I have news for you. I will guarantee you'll be more of a woman after it than you were before. Because that's the way that God works. He'll strengthen you through that trial. So all of that to say that, that faith writes our story. Our journey of faith, it kind of writes our life story. My life story is different because of prostate cancer in 2008. And he's, he's, he'll write another story. And, and I would just encourage you um, to, to believe your story. Believe your story. I, I remember the day, I can remember the place where Sue and I were beginning to think it was time to move back to Europe. And we sung the song that has the line in it. You split the sea and walked right through it. And at that moment, I knew, oh, you split the sea in 2001 when we jumped on the first plane after 9-11. You made it possible for us to fly then. You split the sea before, you'll split the sea again. You split the sea, we'll walk right through it. And we knew we have confidence because we believe our story. So a whole load of points I'm not expecting them to all be for one of you. I expect them to be scattered across the place. But I, I want to go in, in one direction and then um, there, there'll be ministry and I'm, I'm happy to specifically pray for you, especially if you have cancer. I specifically want to pray for you. But I want to pray for one group which illustrates something, um, not in a kind of like, I don't want to use you. It illustrates something because this is our life story. And... Um, my wife and I went through infertility in the late 80s, which gave us our second son. My wife was healed spirit, supernaturally in a moment after a long, painful journey. And infertility is, a, is one of the, the toughest cyclical journeys for any couple to go through. And, uh, and so we, we were healed, gave us our now 31, nearly 32-year-old uh, son. And uh, in the last 10 or 15 years, we have prayed consistently for people with infertility. And there is no prayer that we have seen more uh, breakthrough than this prayer. And uh, I just want to make sure that I pray for you. And there's two reasons for doing this. One, because of what I've just said. But secondly, we had a dedication this morning. And there are two days in the church calendar that are the most painful for people with infertility. Dedications and Mother's Day. The two hardest days. And uh, Sue and I literally now have dozens of testimonies. Extraordinary breakthroughs. People, in, people with um, the man having the problem, the woman having the problem, endometriosis, polycystic ovaries. Um, we've had people who are on their eighth attempt at IVF who've lost seven and their eighth one, and we've seen breakthrough. I've actually walked a lady through in her 50s, believe it or not, who had an egg donor, and she'd previously been healed of multiple sclerosis and she gave birth to a baby at 51 years of age by egg donor. And it was stretching my faith, but we just walked the journey. And uh, so if there's anyone here today, and you have infertility, and you're here, there'll be some other categories. I want to invite you to stand. If that's your current journey of faith, I want to pray for you. Is there anyone here? And you don't have to both be here. It's fine. One lady standing. Wonderful. Thanks for standing. Now, another group of people. If you are grandparents, want to be grandparents, in other words, you have kids that can't get pregnant, I want to invite you to stand. I've seen more breakthrough to this. I'm not exaggerating. I really don't exaggerate on this one. Um, it is uh, so encouraging. And uh, so you have kids and then another group, that you have a, f- a close friend or a work colleague, but you are willing to tell them that you're praying for them. I, I say that very specifically. Now, my wife prayed for somebody. And a lady came up and said, can you pray for my colleague? She said, sure. And uh, the lady's colleague was a Muslim who had no relationship with Jesus and she got healed of infertility. And so this, we know that there's breakthrough in this. So those that are standing for someone else, just let them know that you stood for them today and that you prayed in faith. This is original design. We are calling original design. I am done with people talking about original sin. I'm not really interested in it. I'm interested in original design because God redeems us to original design, and He'll answer this prayer. So, Father, I'm asking today for those standing for themselves, for those standing for their children, and for those standing for friends and work colleagues that you will, you will answer this prayer that they will conceive, carry, and deliver healthy full-term babies. Conceive, carry, deliver. Healthy, full term babies. And that those that are walking with the pain and the disappointment, that you will give them their breakthrough. Answer this prayer by faith, I pray. In Jesus' name. Take care of this, Jesus. In your name. Amen. You may be seeing, and just last, I just want to, is there anyone here who has cancer? I want to pray for you if you have cancer. Now, if you want prayer for anything else, please go over to the the ministry team. But I encourage you, walk by faith, not by sight. Walk by faith. You don't need faith when you've seen 99 blind eyes open. In fact, you don't need hope when you've won the lottery and you don't need love on your honeymoon night. You need the three great pillars of the Christian faith when it doesn't make sense, when you can't see where you're going and you're in the presence of your enemies. And sometimes we we miss that. So if you're in the midst of the tough stuff, you're in the best place to learn about faith, hope, and love. And if you've got people around you, give faith, hope, and love away. Become somebody so generous in giving faith, hope, and love away. And I'm assuming there's no one here with cancer, which is a good day. So well, let's stand. I pray for you and please receive prayer. But this is my journey. It, I, I didn't... Go on that journey to write a book. I didn't write a book because I was clever. I wrote a book because he showed up because he's good. And he kissed me every day. And so, Father, I ask that that which I've said this morning will bring encouragement in different ways. Wherever people are on their journey, would you just encourage them? Kiss them. Show them how much you care by those little snippets, those little gems, those little moments of encouragement. Show them. Jump into their lives, into their circumstances. And I pray, Father, that there will be an increase of faith because of this teaching. Increase faith in this room, in this family. Increase our faith. And those that have a victory, I pray, Father, they will walk out those doors looking for someone to pray for. Looking for someone to use their authority and say, this is what God did and I'm going to believe it for you. And just as we do with infertility, the cry of our hearts today is, do it again. For every one of our victories, do it again, God, for the honor of your name, I pray. Amen.